God is faithful. And he is good all the time. It's good to be standing here again. You can get kind of comfortable here. <laughs> After about 20 years, it gets comfortable. At least for me, it probably gets uncomfortable for others. But Today is Rob and Shannon's golden wedding anniversary. They're 17 years on the 17th. Yeah, so give, be sure and catch him after service. Dump all the problems you have on him. Ask for as much counsel as you can get in the last five minutes before they leave town. You know, so that he can go away and just carry your burdens with him for the rest of the week and mess up his anniversary. How's that? So, are you getting the message? Dump your problems on me. I'll give them to him when he gets home. How's that? You know, even though we are happy at moments uh, to that second row from the back, you know, you have our hearts today. Amen. I want you to know that. And uh, that second row, you know, extends right across the aisle to Linda Shuck, too. In First Corinthians, it tells us plainly that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we grieve with those who grieve. We're, if we're united in Christ, then we're one body. And if I come and take a hammer and smash your finger, your whole body is going to feel it, right? And it's, your whole body is going to react to that hurt and to that woundedness. And so I pray that we will be sensitive in our prayer times and in our, in our thinking about the families that have lost their loved ones this last few weeks, that we'll try and be strong while they're weak. Amen? And that we'll stand with you and be at your disposal for whatever you might need. And... Uh, and remember, Rob's the one that has the money, so. <laughs> oh, he's probably spent it by now. It's been 20 years. Matthew chapter 4. I approach a passage this morning that uh, to me is huge. It's just huge for simply being 11 verses long. And... Uh, to all you Bible scholars, just give me a little time to get moving, okay? I won't touch everything there is to touch in this passage. And you'll think of things along the way. Just jot that in your notes, whatever the Lord's speaking to you about it. But uh, don't, don't take me out for not touching every theological piece that resides in this small passage of Scripture because I believe the Lord has a specific message for us in this 11 verses today. Matthew chapter 4, <coughs> verse 1 is where we'll start. But let's put this on in its context. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. And you'll recall there in chapter 3 where Jesus comes to him and his response is, I should be baptized by you. This is backwards. The greater should baptize the lesser. And John the Baptist realizes that and, and Jesus' response is quite simple. He said, let's, it's Let's go ahead with it this way right now because we need to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do it the Father's way. I need to present myself as a man, all man and all God, but I need to be as a man and I need to be obedient to what he says we should do. So please, would you baptize me? John the Baptist does that, and it says Jesus comes up right out of the water and I don't know what your picture of that is, whether he's still standing in the water or whether the scripture tells you that he walked up out of the water. It doesn't matter. He's up. Amen. And the, the testimony of John is that the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And that was the sign that the father had given John the Baptist. And on the, upon, upon the one that you see the Holy Spirit descending, this is the one. This is the Messiah. So he bears witness to that, that this is the one. This is the Messiah. And I like this picture, and I, I wrote this in my right at the top of my page here. The Trinity is present. When you think of the scriptures and the depth of theology that's available to us, the understanding of God that's been given to us, and yet it, it's so shallow, really, what we really know about God. He's so Im immense, yet he's so transcendent, and yet he's eminent with us personally. As it here's this dove descending upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Jesus standing there, and then the voice from heaven suddenly comes. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
You can't get a better picture of the Trinity in one spot than this simple passage. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working in, in agreement, all in community, all in unity, together present at the onset of what we call Jesus' public ministry. Now, before Jesus goes public, he has to do something for us. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, capital S, not by his own volition, but by the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Most of us aren't going to even make it till shortly after the service. <laughs> and we're going to be hungry. 40 days and 40 nights will make you hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, again, You shall not test or tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, or get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, Father, it is your word that we examined this morning. It is your message that our hearts need to grasp. And, Father, I ask that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you will accomplish what you brought us for here this morning. Father, I ask that you would overcome my weakness, overcome my frailty, that you will forgive my Fall in nature once again and use me as a tool in your hands in Jesus' name. I'll save the amen till we're done. I just have a few notes. The problem is they're not in very good order. So I'm going to tear them out so I can find them. Okay. That ought to do it. That wasn't even supposed to be funny. It just was real. <laughs> it's like, man, I, I, it's real. I think the first thing I would like to point out in the passage, there are many things and many places we could start, but Jesus' first answer, man shall not live by bread alone. He's referring to himself. He's the one under the temptation. He's the one that's under this moment, right? This, You know, when a test comes from God, you should distinguish this in your thinking about God and about your Christian life. When the Bible says you're tested by God, it's because of approbation. He wants you to know you can win. He brings test and trial to you so that you can overcome. He knows when you're ready to pass the test. That is the inference of Scripture, that God only brings us to test when he knows we're going to pass. Isn't that a great schoolmaster? I mean, I never had any teachers like that in my classes. But the Father knows when I'm ready. And when I'm ready, he tests me so that he can prove my faith not to him but to me. So that I know I can trust him and that I can go into every situation and overcome when he's ready to lead me into it. That's what a test means when God tests you. But when the devil comes to test and tempt, it's so that he can drive you or pull you or push you or drag you into sin. It's plain. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his only M.O. So when you're tempted by the devil, you can, if you know that scripture, John 10.10, where Jesus said, the thief comes, not, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the only reason he shows up. He doesn't even bother you if he can't do one of those three things. He's not just messing around. He's out to kill you. 
He's out to defeat you. And in this head-to-head match, it's Jesus against his archenemy, Satan. And Satan comes to tempt him. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, I am confessing openly before all of heaven and earth, every principality and power. Jesus is saying, I am a man. You know, when Jesus is a man and he admits he's a man and he's suffering hunger in the moment, that's a big pull for the devil to say, not just in our, in our version, it says, if you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. You can translate the word if as since. So it could read, since you're the son of God. Go ahead and do this. You can do it. You can do anything you want. You can create anything you want. You're the creator. Why don't you just go ahead and turn these stones into bread. Let's have lunch. After all, you are hungry. And when does the tempter come to you and I? In that weakness, in that moment where we wish we had something or we hoped we had something or we forgot about something we wanted and he brings it up in our face in that weak moment. He says, well, you know, maybe I'll just go ahead and have that action or that activity or that thought. And he tempts us. And we're drawn away, James says, by our own lust, right? And enticed. We're first drawn there because of our own, in this case, hunger. My hunger drives me to want something to eat. And then the enemy comes and says, well, how about this? Jesus says, man, this man, in his weakened state, understands something. And that is this. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Man doesn't live by this bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what brings us life. Once you've come to know Christ, once you've given your heart to him and he's forgiven your sin and you're his, he's in you, you're in him. Now your life derives from something, a totally new source than just the food on your table. You get to live by the words that he speaks to you. Now, many of us know this and it's kind of academic, but... The word that Jesus is expressing in this passage is rhema, the rhema word. There's the logos and there's the rhema. When we read it in English, it just says word. But there's a difference in the original language. This whole book put together for us by God is the logos of God. It is the message. It is the, it is the pulled together thoughts of God for us to live by. It's an entire message, this book, right? It's got one great theme. It's got plenty of sub-themes. There's great stories. There's, uh, there's uh, things you can tell your kids that will amaze them. Right? And you go, did that really happen? You know, did, did, you, what do you think? Jonah and the whale. Come on, really? You think? We've tried to explain that away. Here's how I explain it. Jesus, in this book, endorsed the fact that Jonah and the whale happened. That's all I need to know. If the Son of God who wrote the book says it happened, it happened. I'm not going up against the Creator. I don't have to explain it. I just have to believe it. He was there when it happened. So that's another way we love the Scriptures is because Jesus said these words, He confirms them to us. But this passage, Jesus says, we live by the rhema that comes from God. The rhema word, different than the whole message, is a piece of the message that's spoken to you right now in the moment you need it. Jesus, if you will, could this be like a quiver? Only instead of full of arrows, let's make it full of swords. And while this book lays on the coffee table or sits in the shelf or rides around on your dashboard or floats around on the floor of your car or wherever you keep yours, the seat next to you, hopefully it's not on the floor. It's like a sheath full of swords, and it just lays. But when God pulls one out, speaks it to you, it gives it to you as a living word. I mean, it's quivering full of life and power. It says, this is the sword you need to fight with right now. This is the alive word. This is the rain. This is the taking of the message and the communication of it in the moment for your particular need. That's a rhema word of God. And Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by the rhema, that quivering full of life sword that I need right now that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. You know what I'm talking about. Let's go there. Unless, of course, you have it all memorized. 
I'm uh, at my age. I'm thinking I've forgotten more than I remember. Ephesians chapter six. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having, your, your, uh, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not your strength. It's not your cunning. It's not your education. It's not your ownership. It's not what you have in this life that makes you strong or makes you able to defeat your enemy. It is the sword of the Spirit, the truth that God breaks to you and gives you by promise or gives you by a living moment the word you need now. And he hands it to you and says, now this is the sword you need to fight with. Jesus pulled his out. He knew the word. He is the word. He is the truth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He is the word. Verse 14 says, and he came and he was made manifest and he dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. Jesus is the living sword of the spirit. He reaches in and he pulls out the one little sword he needs to defeat the devil in the moment. He says, oh, but it's written. Now this is a man, Jesus, fighting the enemy of all enemies face to face. And all he's using is one verse. And he defeats him. He pushes him back. This is a rhema word. And it is the sword of the Spirit. We need, we need the Word of God. And we need it to be in us, not just in the, in the pages. We, we need it. Right? You're supposed to agree with the preacher. Thank you very much. Just humor me if you can't agree with me. Check with, am I doing okay with this? I'm David at Saul's Armor this morning with this thing hanging off my ears. I forget it's there, which is why they make them that way, I think. So it's good. I, I, I love the Bible. Do you love the Bible? I like to look into it and stop and think, well, how did that happen? I'm kind of practical. When it just changes in verse and says, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, Jesus is a man. He's been in the desert 40 days fasting. He's hungry. And then now, how did that happen? How did he get there? I mean, did, he, did they transport spirits? Or did the devil pick him up by the robe and float him over there? I mean, I don't know. But I believe it happened. Now Jesus, the weakened man, son of God, is sitting up on the pinnacle of the temple looking out over Jerusalem. Sitting in the top of the temple. It's quite a position. Most of us wouldn't even want to climb up there, probably. Anyway, he got in there. However it happened, it's just speculation on my part, but it's interesting to me that it took place. If or since you're the Son of God, you should just throw yourself down. Because, see, now Jesus had pulled out a sword and defended his moment in the first one. So now the devil grabs the same thing and starts to fight back. Only he's not very good with the word. Anyway, he pulls out Psalm 91 and tries to tell Jesus it's okay to throw yourself off the temple because uh, God will send angels to keep you and you won't even let your foot be dashed against the stone. Come on, just jump off here. Since you're God and all. And Jesus pulls out and reaches into this logos that's available and pulls out the rhema that he needs in the moment. Because you and I know as often as we drive this mountain road, pick one, that there are angels 
Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, there are angels that they are sent to be ministers, the heirs of salvation. Amen. I mean, some of them are real skinny now because somehow they got between us and that moment when we should have been taken out or rolled the car or whatever it was. We know that God has a way of protecting us. And Jesus knows that. He's God, but he's the man now, and he's in this total man moment. The devil says, why don't you just toss off? I mean, since you're the son of God, the father will take care of you. Here's the word. You want to fight with the word? Here's the word. But see, Jesus has what, I, what we like to call the meta-narrative. He's got the whole picture. He's not just stuck in this. Sometimes we get caught as believers of trying to proof text, grab one little thing, and try and make it fit in the crowbar our moment, you know, make it work. And the devil might even throw a truth at us in that way to tempt us or to try us. We need the whole picture. And Jesus comes back with another scripture saying, oh, but again, it's written. Don't test the Lord. Don't tempt him. Don't test him. In other words, we could say it this way just practically. When I'm in that situation where I need him to take care of me, where I need him to protect me, he will. But I'm not supposed to put him in that situation. I'm not going to tempt him and say, well, I'll just jump off here and see if God catches me. You will be flat. <laughs> He's, you don't do that. That's not how it works. And Jesus do that. And even with a mis or an untimely scripture being thrown at him, he pulls out the right sword of the spirit in the moment and says, no, that doesn't fit into the whole picture of God and his plan. I know more than just this one verse. I've got a picture of the whole topic. I see the whole of it as best I can. The Lord's showing me a greater picture, and I know that I'm not supposed to tempt him in these moments. So let's just go with this verse. And he defends the moment. And then, again, in the mystery of the moment, for me, I'm still wondering how this occurs, he took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. I've never been to Israel, but I don't know that they're all that tall compared to what we're used to. And I've been to... Uh, Colorado, and I wonder why we call ours mountains. You know, when you get up there in those Rockies, from Canada all the way down, you could, I, I just, I woke up in the moment once, we'd been driving at 50 or 60 miles an hour for a long time, and when, and I kind of popped awake and went, we're still at 9,000 feet on a road that's, we are way up here. Was it you that told me about somebody just moved lower? Somebody in the Rockies, I was talking to somebody, they lived up in the, in the Rockies, they said, yeah, they were having problems breathing, so they moved to a lower elevation. I said, well, where'd you move? Well, we moved down to about 7,000 feet. <laughs> Man, wow. Nonetheless, he takes him to this high mountain, an exceedingly high mountain. Uh, where was it? We don't know. It doesn't say it was even in Israel. Could have been the way this is taking place. Could have been anywhere, right? He said, here's everything. See all this? It's all yours right now. Why? He's the prince of power of the air. He's ruling the atmosphere. He's, he's over the control of the earth right now. I'll give it all to you. All you have to do is just worship me. Now think about this for a second. Don't, and this is for all you scholars that are way ahead of me anyway. What Jesus is faced with is the bypass of the cross. He knows all these kingdoms are going to be his anyway. He's headed for establishing his own kingdom and the rulership of his lordship and his kingdom. He's going to rule it all anyway. But if he was to just simply take this route, no suffering, no whipping, no scourging, no crown of thorns, no cross, no death, he could have it all bypass the pain. Don't you see that same temptation comes to us? Sometimes we're, we're tempted to bypass the the, uh, the un lovely part of the moment we're in we could just sidestep it if we'll just take this little detour over here there's no glory in that detour there's no help in that detour there's no sustaining in that detour there's no cool if you were here last week in that detour and Jesus says well behind me devil it's written he goes right back to Deuteronomy now again for you scholars uh, they're thinking about this a little more deeply. It's significant. Many scholars believe it's significant that 
Jesus is actually facing the same temptations that Israel faced when they went into the wilderness. They had this manna that taught them how to eat the bread every day. Get your daily portion of the bread. And they failed in that moment a lot. Jesus says, no, well, I recognize that we live by the bread of God too. Jesus won, and all the tempta- these three temptations are similar temptations to those that Israel faced, and Jesus did not fail in them. There's a tie-in there, theologically. Interesting. Most of us probably won't care a lot to search that out, but still it's there. The passages that Jesus quote come from Deuteronomy, which is around the same remembering of the law, remembering of the journey that Israel failed in. And so they say it's significant that he pulled from there. I just am glad he won. It's pretty simple. I'm glad the Son of God won. And how did he win? He won by pulling out a rhema word of God every time. What is God saying to me right now? What word from the Logos of God is coming alive to sustain me in this moment I face? And it's not just a, a... you know, a poor me, I need something from God moment. It's something he wants to break to us. It's a word that he wants to bring alive to us in the moment we need it. And that's the word that we live by. That's the one that brings life to us. I can read the Bible till, uh, you know, till the sun goes down and stay there and read till the morning and may come up with nothing personally that would do something for me. But all God has to do is put his finger on a verse or a word or a passage or a story that I recall from reading the word all night. He just breathes on it. When it comes alive, now it's the rhema. It's to me. It's like the neon sign in the window that says, open. Man, I know I can run into that. I know that there is more behind that moment than all of what I know in my head. I'll get out of order in my notes, but 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3 says that knowledge puffs up, makes us arrogant. Knowledge puffs up, makes us stuffed with ourselves. So I can know a lot about the Bible. I can know a lot of the Scripture. I can be full of the Word of God in that sense, and it may just puff me up. I may become arrogant. One of those guys that after church, nobody wants to talk to. But then it says, but love edifies. The word edify, I, lo- I really have grown to appreciate this word because it's, it means to build a house. It's oiko domeo. Love builds the house. It digs down and makes a foundation that will hold that house in place. And then love builds the house. It establishes the walls. And I, my mind just runs to Psalm 127 about wisdom building the house and how God is in charge when love is in charge. First John says that if we don't know love, we don't know God. Right? He that loves, loves and knows God. He that doesn't love, doesn't know God. God is love. And so in getting a hold of all of the Bible, we can study and study and study. I, I went, I did a funeral in, or was it a funeral? It was a wedding. Sorry. They're all kind of the same. You know, I remember there was a big family there. Sorry. I've done both here. Sorry. Actually, I went to the Duke Chapel. Anybody know the Duke Chapel? Duke University Chapel? What comes to your mind? Chapel. I went and looked it up online before. I went, so we're doing the wedding, Pastor Jeff. We want you to come help us. It's going to be the Duke University Chapel. So, so it sounds quaint. <laughs> Do you remember in the movie uh, where Captain Von Tropp marries Maria? That's the chapel. I mean, it's not, that's not the same one, but it's like that. You know, they start at the other end of the football field with the music and the whole walk the aisle. It was literally... 50 rows of chairs between the chancel, if you will, and the first row of pews. So for the wedding, they would come and set chairs in, in this space so the people could be a little closer. You know, it was a spectacular place of walking into the chapel. And someone points out to me, says, this, is the, this whole building over here is the theological school at Duke University. I said, wow, that's a big building. I said, yeah. 
you know what they when when they get done with their studies here, they no longer believe the Bible. I said, You're serious? They said, Oh yeah. They're taught right out of it. So you can fill yourself with this and come out with nothing. That's my point. Knowledge can puff you up, make you arrogant. You can have a grand knowledge of the scripture, but until love is the motivator, until you understand where God lives and that he gives us this word because he loves us, he brings to us life because he loves us. His motivation is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we could live forever and our sins would not be counted against us. And then in our toughest moments, he wants to come and speak a loving word to you. He wants to pull out i got to tell you, some of you guys are pulling my heart right out of my chest in this very moment because I know God wants to speak some things to you. Oh, all I can say is unstop your ears. Unplug your heart. I can feel a spirit right now. I don't want to stare at anybody. I'm going to stare at all of you if I can because I want you to know God wants to say something to you. I remember a prophecy that came here probably less than a month ago said, I want to talk to you in the hard times. I want to talk to you in the good times. I'm going to speak to you when you're doing well. I want to speak to you when you're doing poorly. And I left here thinking God just wants to talk to me all the time. But the word was unstop your ears. Get your heart open. Will you become a listener? Now I'm beginning to get it. I say he has a rhema word for me. He has something alive that he wants to pull out of this logos this whole book, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I told the, told the worship team this morning, I said, I, they said, are you ready to preach? I said, well, I have four or five messages. I just don't know which one. And that really wasn't entirely the truth. I knew which one. I still had the others. But the message is this. God wants to speak. He wants to say something to you. He wants it to bring life to your situation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but he will live, live by this rain of word that comes in the due season. I believe in quoting the scriptures. I believe in allowing the scriptures to guide my life. I believe in knowing what they say so that in any given situation I'm in, I have a biblical view of how I should respond or what I should do. You know, it's practical. And how many of you feel a little torn coming down the freeway off-ramp to the guy with the sign that says, we'll work for food or whatever? I feel torn. Uh Uh-huh. It's it's constant around us, that kind of thing. Um, And I won't go off on that particular needy group of people right now, but there's something in you that says you're supposed to help the poor. Your heart should be bent towards the widow, the stranger, the foreigner, the, the orphan, right? There's something that should come alive in us that says, ooh, is this my moment to help? Now, I've overcome that, by the way. I've become really crass and rank and yeah. <laughs> brush them off every time I see them. But the day that I drive, just staying with that particular illustration, the day I drive down that on-ramp and love comes up inside of me and God's beginning to move and says, now, now help. I will get out of my car and I'll help a lot further than just handing something out the window. And I've done it. And I've even done it to those who took advantage of me. Because it's not about them all the time. It's about what God wants to work in your spirit. So I really think we should know the whole word of God. We should have the grand view. We should have the meta-narrative. We should know it, at least the themes of the Bible from beginning to end and what it's all about. So that in any situation that confronts us, say, God, is there a rhema word you want to speak to me in this moment that will bring life into this scenario? How can I be the life-giving force in this moment? I don't want to just be full of knowledge and be arrogant and puffed up. I want to be moved by love. I want to help build the house. I want to help make things happen properly. So 2 Timothy 3.16, still in the Bible, says, Study to show yourself approved. Workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're supposed to study the book. We're supposed to read it. We're supposed to study it. They're different. 
Lots of us are bent on our daily reading. We got our devotional booklets and all of our helps and whatever it is we use, and we all have different flavors, don't we? Some of you are, I can pick on you. See, some of you are Joyce Meyer fans. Come on, where's the Joyce Meyer fans? All, this, all the strong women of God raised their hand. <laughs> you know, I'm impressed with Joyce Meyer uh, because she's the only woman on the top ten list of major influencers of Christianity in America. She's the only woman on the list. The rest are men. And T.D. Jakes is the only man of color on the list. The rest of them are gringos, whites, bolillos, whatever you want to call us. (laughs) Psalm 19, verse 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. You may have remembered it this way. It says converting the soul. You look into the word converting, you'll find that it means restoring. Think of this. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. What was damaged in the fall? What was taken away in the fall of Adam? What was passed to us generation to generation right down until now? There's a brokenness about us in our soul. There's a deadness about us in our spirit until we're born again. But the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Have you noticed that since you came to Christ, a lot of things changed, radically changed in a moment, just intense change came to us. Then you found out a little later there's some things that sort of dragging behind you. Huh? Do you find those things? Is you kind of as you're sort of sloughing along in your Christianity, you hear that, what is that clanking chain I feel pulling on me? What is that? You know, it's a process of becoming more like him and getting rid of some of the garbage that's been hanging on to us. And we have baggage. Jesus is in control of that baggage, and Jesus is going to bring us restoration from that stuff. But the law of the Lord is perfect, and it restores the soul. It's there for your benefit. It's there to bring you life. It's infallible. It means it's unfailing. It's the guide for all of our faith and practice. It is inerrant. We use these words. Inerrant means it doesn't have any mistakes in it. People that like to debate that. Oh, the Bible's full of errors. And I've said this before, and I say it to you, so hopefully you'll say it, but maybe you should learn it yourself. I have a little book in my library that teaches me this, that there are over 100,000 textual critical errors in the Bible that we read out of in English. 100,000 mistakes. I'd also will conclude this, that not one of those errors, they're just usually because somebody forgot to dot an I across a T or put a wrong letter in. The errors are there not the ones that the world wants us to think are there. Not the ones the devil wants you to think are there. They're just little mistakes. And not one of those 100,000 errors changes the message at all. That's what we need to remember. Sure, there's errors in the Bible. You're just talking about the printing and the production and the translation. And, and, and I like to just ask, could you point one out to me? No, I just heard that. Well, I just heard there's 100,000 errors in the Bible. And I agree with you, but it doesn't change the message. You can't take the life out of it with your accusation. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's complete. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, five and six says that every word of God is pure. What does that mean? It means that it's already been tested and refined, pure, like gold and like silver. You put the heat to it, you get all the stuff to the top, and then you skid the stuff off the top that's impure. That's what the silversmith does, heats it up again, and then the stuff that's not supposed to be in there for it to be pure rises to the surface, and he just tips it a little bit, and it slides off until he can see his reflection in it. He says, now it's pure. Every word of God has already been tried and proven and is pure. You can trust this book. Jesus said about the word, he said that heaven and earth is going to pass away. He said, but my word will never pass away. What are we going to put our trust in every day? The word of God, motivated by love that comes from God. 
I believe that God wanted to say to us here this morning, one is the message. There's a message, and that is that we overcome by the word of God. We come overcome. The accuser of the brethren is cast down, and we overcome him, Revelation says, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb has been provided. There's only one that can do that. The word of my testimony is when I come into agreement with this book, this Bible, this Logos of God, this message, this complete message from God, when I live in agreement with it and when it comes to life, then my testimony is like Jesus. It is written. In this moment, I'm going to stand on it is written. In this moment, I'm going to put up my shield of faith and I'm going to wield this Ephesians 6.17, Sword of the Spirit, this one right now. Tomorrow might be a different one. Which one do you wield when you feel sick? By his stripes I am healed. How's that? How about when you reach in the pocket and it's empty, you look in your checking account and it's laughing at you? want to reach in there. you got to hold on to something. Say, God, what do you want to speak and break to me? Maybe it'll be Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Maybe it'll be Deuteronomy 8.18 which says, I, the Lord God, I'm the one that gives you the power to get wealth. So Lord, I don't need wealth. I just need like 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, I've had that moment. I, you ask my kids and they'll tell you that I'm always looking for stuff on the side of the road. And uh, I'm, and I find stuff too. That's the that's the fun of it for me. You know those pinchers you pick up trash with? I found a new one right in the middle of the highway. So now I carry it with me to find all the other stuff. I see that as I see that as Jehovah Jireh. He knew what I needed. Jeff, you're gonna have, won't have to stop and pick up stuff. You're gonna need this. So anyway. I say that because a moment ago when I said, Lord, I don't need wealth. I just need 20 bucks. There was a time I needed 20 bucks. And sure enough, it was like blown along with the trash. And I thought, how often is this? How often does this happen? How many times have you found a $20 bill blown along the street in the trash? Once? There's one of us, me and him. Yeah. And I reached down, I picked it up, and I thought, this is provision. This is provision. Now, greed is when I keep looking for the rest of it. <laughs> you know, that's the human side of me. Sorry. This is provision, but is there more? So now I look every day just in case. It was a living moment. It's an exchange with heaven. And the amount doesn't matter. The need is not too big for God. Whether it's your healing you need, there's a, there's a sword in there for you somewhere. I'm holding this up because you know, this is a dagger. <laughs> no, so people say, this is a, a switchblade, yeah. You know what I like about these Gideon Bibles? If you have one around, if you've stolen one somewhere. <laughs> That's how I got this one. I mean... Where to find, right in the front, where to find help. They have these great lists. What, where to look when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're leaving home, when your friends fail, when you need God's protection, when you need peace, when you need some rules for living or you need to overcome something. What do you do? Where do you look when you're thankful? Where do you go when you're weary? I mean, there's lists. These are available. Your Bible has things in it too. Right? Helps and aids that point us in the direction to where we can find that word that God can breathe on and turn into a rhema in the moment of our need. There's another piece of this that I'll close with, and you were hoping I was done already, I'm sure. And that's the personal part. Two weeks ago in the service, the Lord handed me this message. Probably was in better shape two weeks ago. I was just standing over here and he handed it to me out of Isaiah 
a couple of passages where he reminded me in chapter 43, chapter 55, he reminded me of the event when he opened the sea in front of Israel. And he made, as according to Isaiah 22, 22, it was his to open a door that no man could shut. Amen. He opened the door for the Israelites and they went through on dry ground. And in these passages in Isaiah, he is reminding them, said, why do you fear man? Why are you so afraid of your enemies when I'm the one that opens the sea? When I'm the one that pushes back the enemy? When I'm the one who created heaven and earth and I make it all and I speak it through my word and there it is. I'm that one. Why are you so afraid of men? I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I'm behind you. I'm in front of you. I'm on both sides of you. If God can be as for us, who can be against us? Rings out. She stole it from me right there. That's good. That's good. And I, and then he showed me, and this is for some of us in the room, okay? Maybe for those who listen on a recording, I suppose. But I know I'm pastoral. I'm here. I'm, this is us now. This is what's important is right in front of me. And I believe God has a, an appointment with us this morning. He wants to remind you that there are things he has spoken to you that he still wants to bring to pass. There are living communications that he gave to you, gave to me, that he still wants to fulfill. In fact, he had designed those things before you were born. He had designed those things before the foundation of the world, he said, about you. That's how intimate, intimate he is. That's how imminent he is. He's with you. And he wants to remind you, you need to pick up the sword of the Spirit. You need to pick up the living promise that he gave you and begin to wield it against the enemy. And those things that are in your path right now that look like blockades, and as he showed me this, you know the big white center line barriers that they put up, the temporary giant concrete things in the highways and freeways? I saw them crossways on the road in front of me. He said, what you see as barriers, if you'll begin to wield the sword of his promise to you, he will begin to remove them out of your path. They look like barriers to you and I, and they look pretty solid and concrete-ish. They look like they're never going to be moved by me in my own strength. And they won't be in your own strength. You won't be able to. You're thinking at the best you might hurdle one. Maybe I could jump them. But they're still barricades. They're blockades. And they may be real things. They may be other people. They might be the enemy himself. It might be your own inability. Whatever it is that you feel is standing between you where you're at right now and the promise that he gave you Begin to just speak the rhema word that he's given you. Agree with the scriptures. Agree with the meta-narrative of your life, the bigger picture. Don't get lost right here in front of yourself at the end of your nose saying, I can't go any further. There's a barricade. Speak to that thing and let God remove it. But you're going to have to restore something in your life. You're going to have to remember what he said. You're going to need to rehearse the words that he spoke to you. Bring them back to the to the surface of your heart where they're tender again and say, Lord, I have given up hope on this. I have to admit, forgive me. Because your word is alive and powerful and quick and sharper than two-edged sword. And it can bring me to a place that you want me to arrive at. And I want to go there. I want to go there. on the edge of embarrassing someone is why I'm hesitating. You're hoping it's not you. But Leah, can I speak to you for a moment? Here's what I want to say to the rest of us. I may speak to her, but I want you to hear what he wants to say to her. Not because it's just for her, but it may apply to us as a body. And it's this. I've been sensing it for a while now, but this morning it's inescapable. Any battle that you're in right now for the future of faith, strength, worship, and practice isn't really about you and it's not really about Anthony. It's about your kids. 
It's really about your kids. It's like there's a little Samuel or somebody in there. It's like there's a calling in your children that hasn't been revealed yet. And it's it's powerful. And it's like, I don't know, what do we say? Super spiritual kids. And the battle that you're in and the, the things that you're facing is about their future, not yours. So be encouraged that God has a plan. God has the answer. And he is ahead of you. He has to be. Why would he tell me if he's not already ahead of you? Who am I? I'm a delivery boy. I'm a mailman. I'm just delivering the mail. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just that that's where the battle is. Sometimes we look and we think the battle is about us, right? We, and we get all caught up in me and me and mine and how I'm feeling. What's going wrong? And God wants to say, look beyond your nose. It's not all about you. Boy, I wish I had that story of the two-foot putt right now. That would be a great story. Be hopeful. I was going to show you how to win in this moment. Maybe it's in the next few years. I don't know. But he has an answer for us. And your kids are going to be okay. I don't think they're threatened. But that's what the battle's about. They could just grow up and be kids and be parents and be whatever, mediocres like the rest of us. But there's a calling in there that, that the enemy knows about. And he wants to thwart it. I think a lot of that applies to us as well. Father, I ask that you would revive your word in us. That you would give us the rhema that we need again. Lord, some of us have it written down as notes in our Bible pages. Some of us have it in our journals. Some of us just have tucked it away in our heart, Lord, so that we would hold on to it forever, but it's grown dim. Pray that you would bring new illumination to the promises you've given us. And then help us, Lord, to pull on, pull out our sword of the Spirit and begin to wield it in faith. Lord, help us to point it at our enemy and declare it just as squarely away as Jesus did when he said, get behind me, Satan. It is written. Help us to speak in agreement with what you have said so that you will be glorified and so that your word will come to pass. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus, and it's only by his grace, only by his work, only by his blood that we will ever attain these things. We give you the glory. May our lives reflect and constantly testify to the fact that you are alive in us, the church. In his name we pray. Amen.